Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a great book that's been out for a few years now, and it's a great book about the founding of our nation. It's written by a man whose name is David McCullough. The book's name, John Adams. HBO turned it into a mini-series as well to kind of fulfill what was written. It's a great story about how this country of ours that we love so much was born. All the method and means that were used to take a colony and throw off the greatest world power known at that time, England. And then the birth of a very founding document of our nation, the Constitution. And all of the positioning and posturing that all the patriots had to do in order to see this through to its final completion. Fascinating indeed. It sits as a complete opposite. It sits completely diametrically opposed to what you are hearing and reading and seeing portrayed before you in Christ's entrance into Jerusalem, where the church, in many ways, was founded, and more importantly, our salvation was completed. And it was done in a manner, in a fashion, completely opposite of how our nation was founded and the method and means by which the patriots and others used in order to create this nation and the document known as the Constitution. What happens today that we celebrate Christ's entrance into Jerusalem is markedly different and we cannot try to bring each into the same realm. They are to remain separate. They are to remain distinct. For they have at their very root two totally different outcomes with two totally different motivations. This is earthly. And how this nation started was started with earthly means. And remind ourselves, this nation is not divinely ordained. This was done by human beings. This, on the other hand, what God is about to accomplish in Christ Jesus with His road to the cross and His death upon that very cursed tree and His glorious resurrection is markedly and distinctively opposed to the method and means by which this nation was brought about. The posturing that's done here is only to benefit the sinner and not the king. The posturing and positioning of this realm is completely centered around people who do not deserve such a gift of a kingdom that's eternal and without end. Totally different than the motivation over here, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, In keeping these two separate, it must be said very clearly. You and I, as faithful citizens of this country, need 
and must be involved. We must be at those polls voting. We must be aware of the situations that are happening within our country, within our state, within our city. We must be active in the political process, staying aware and not letting someone else take care of that. That's critical and crucial. But as God-fearing Christians in this realm, we must not ever, mind you, ever allow this method and means to creep in to this kingdom that God has given us. For it was not won for us by these kind of means and methods. This is all about positioning and posturing. And if you read that book as any book of our country's beginnings, there's a lot of political maneuvering and a lot of posturing done in order for there to be power controlled and power thrown off. It's totally different over here. It is Palm Sunday. And the king does not come in to the capital of his nation and the center of the world's attention for the sacrificial death of the Lamb with great pomp and circumstance and power according to the world's standards. He comes in lowly and humble, ready to die for all who do not deserve such a sacrifice. The world looks upon that as ridiculous foolishness. It scoffs and ridicules such a stance. God's kingdom says this is how it's done. Remember Christ's life. He did not live it showing himself to be the most powerful man. He showed himself to be the obedient son of God, God in the flesh. He did not garner and gather power and praise from man in order to fit into this realm as being somebody of worth and note. He completely threw it all aside to lift you up and me up who deserve not fame in God's eyes, nor recognition as His children. And yet He does. Here we... in force and empower laws and regulations and there's justness and so on. Here, here injustice is before your very eyes in innocence being crucified for guilty. Willingly. Obediently. With no strings attached. And no other shoe to fall. Because he does not bring a kingdom like this world does. But here's the rub. You and I live in this world here. But this is what we're putting all of our faith and hope in. And the temptation is to bring these two together as if it is to be done the same manner. Meaning, we've got to run the church like the world runs itself. There must be posturing. There must be positioning. There must be laws and regulations. There must be justice. I don't think we really want justice over here, the way the world treats it. 
or else there's no need for that injustice to have occurred for us. For if justice were to occur here as it does there, where would we be in this kingdom? We who don't deserve that which we are given. We who follow the king who comes not to garner worldly wealth and power, but to dispense spiritual wealth in forgiveness and mercy, spiritual power in the great grace that he alone gives us. And that we also misuse and misspend and underappreciate. Do we really want to bring this realm into this realm? But we hate having to look as if we are the most despicable and despised of the world. That's exactly right. It's interesting. Follow the church's history if you have ever want to find something fascinating. After Christ died and rose again, the church was the persecuted little red-headed stepchild, as it were. Because at every turn there were persecutions by the Roman Empire. For several hundred years, that's the era and the time of the Romans throwing them to the lions. And all of the martyrdom of all the Christians. At that point, you know that the Christians had to wake up every morning thinking, why? If we are God's people, and if we're God's chosen, why? And then the pendulum swung to the other direction. Constantine apprehended the Christian faith, and the Roman Empire became Christian. Then being a Christian wasn't a difficult thing. It was a cool thing to be. It was what everybody was doing. And then after that glorious time, it fell into disuse again in that same region of the world when Islam grew. Why were the Christians at that time also asking themselves the question? Granddad used to talk about the glory days of old when the church was glorious and had all these people. And now look at us. We can't meet our budget. We can't seem to fill all the pews. What are we doing wrong? We must think in terms of how to incorporate these principles into this realm. Then we can fix the church. That's satanic. And the reason it is satanic is because we're trying to judge the church and Christ and God by what we see and experience, forgetting what came into Jerusalem that day. A different kind of kingdom with a different kind of inheritance for different kind of people who are like everybody else except they've been given the gift to see that they're truly damned and truly redeemed by the same king. In America in the 1950s, church attendance was at its highest. No, I'm serious. It was at its highest ever in the history of this nation. We love to fancy a romantic view that when the Declaration of Independence and that book about John Adams was going, that all the people who came over here came over here with such pious reasons to flee the oppression of Europe. And many did religiously come here to flee the oppression of Europe. But the other reason they came here? By golly, they could own their own land and make their own 
Yes, exactly. So anyway, in the 1950s, it was a very high time for all the churches. Churches were filled. Stories are regaled to me about how St. Paul was full and brimming. And then we see other churches that are dying and others seem to be rising up and we think, because we are in a time of when it's waning, what must we be doing wrong that we are not like them? Is the them really right? Interesting, we talked about this in Bible class this morning, and that is church attendance since the 60s on to present, which is about the last 50 years, has remained static at a same percentage rate. And the reason it's remained static in the same percentage rate is people are leaving this and going to this for a time, leaving that and going to this for a time. And you can trace it. And there's always the bemoaning of why aren't we like it once was? The desire to incorporate this into this and forgetting that when Christ came, He came not in pomp, but in lowliness and humility. And He came not received with such grandiose theme of Hosanna, which means save now, because the same crowd that said save now said crucify, crucify, because he's not coming in the manner or form that I wish him to be that brings glory to me in this life. I don't want the cross in my life. For if I have the cross in my life, I've got to suffer for something that, that I can't see any results in this life for suffering. That is our life in Christ, isn't it? In this life we will be looked upon as being different. We will be allocated to the side and disenfranchised by this world, by the people of our own nation even, because we are markedly different in following the humble one who rode in on a donkey to die upon that tree for we who do not deserve it. But difference, why, that brings upon ridicule and scoffing. Yes, it does. You parents know how often you told your children when they would complain to you that so-and-so doesn't have to come in at that hour of the night. So-and-so's parents let them do this. So-and-so's parents let them do that. And you as a parent, holding firm your point of view, declared to them, you're my child, not their child. You are God's child and not the world's. You stand to inherit an eternal kingdom full of treasure that is insurmountable, but it is not seen. You stand in the presence of God right now, and yet you can't see Him. You know He brings forgiveness, yet you leave here at times feeling like, what is God doing to me and allowing this to happen to me and my family? Do not let Satan draw you into and suck you into this temptation of taking the world's method and means and applying them to God's ways. They are not the same and they cannot be the same. And this morning it is so crystal clear in Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and in the entire passion story of His going to that cross willingly, 
submitting to the humiliation and abject poverty of being the Son of God whose creatures crucify Him. And yet He redeems the very creatures who crucified Him because of His great love. You and I know this is not how the world works. Look at how it treats people who fall from grace. Look at how we treat one another when someone else falls from grace. Look at how we posture ourselves in our own families. In the workplace, you see it. Posturing and positioning oneself, and we do it in the families. Because where else do we learn it from in the workplace except at home? It all comes from home. But where else do we learn and proclaim forgiveness except in this place full of sinners so that we can proclaim it at home? It's here. Where everything that the world thinks is turned upon its head and everything that God thinks is lifted high. And we have to apprehend it, not with this between our two ears, but with the faith that God has given us to believe such proclamations. When I finished my seminary education, I thought I had the world by the tail, and I can remember a professor of great wisdom saying, you young pastors need to remember the only power you have is the Word of God, and that's it. Don't go posturing yourself over your sheep. Don't go mitigating things in order to get your sheep to produce the result that you desire. You let God do that. You just proclaim faithfully that word. But I can't tell you how tempting it is at times when I don't see things the way I think they ought to be or that I wish they were. It's not mine. It is God's. All I can do is proclaim the power of the word. That is what changes you and me and will bring about the redemption of our souls upon our death. Remember very clear what Zechariah said. Because of the blood of my covenant with you, my covenant with you, the blood, something had to die in your stead, I will set you free. And same thing with the writer to the Hebrews. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Even for people who will go to their grave cursing this God of yours and mine. That's how God works. Thanks be to God that He works in such a manner and brings us such a salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds on Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.